Hello and welcome to the Cancer Research UK Cambridge Centre podcast, the All About Radiotherapy series. This series is brought to you by the CRUK Radnet Cambridge programme in partnership with our lovely patient and public involvement and engagement group. Hello, welcome to today's episode. I'm joined by two of our clinical team, Yvonne and Saif, to talk about their role in radiotherapy and oncology and the impact they have on people coming to the department for radiotherapy. Dr. Yvonne Rimmer is one of our consultant clinical oncologists here at Addenbrooke's, specialising in treating patients with prostate and bladder cancer. She's also the specialist research lead in many radiotherapy trials here at Addenbrooke's and also for the region. She qualified in 1996 from Charing Cross and Westminster Medical School and then did a postgraduate junior training in London and Sydney, Australia. She returned to the UK and completed her clinical oncology training in the southeast region at Adam Brooks Hospital and was awarded an MD research degree in 2009 for implementing image-guided radiotherapy technology for prostate cancer. She's a keen supporter of evidence-based care and have opened up numerous national prostate radiotherapy trials for our patients. Dr. Saif Ahmed is, is an academic consultant in clinical oncology here at Addenbrooke's Hospital. He primarily treats people with breast cancer with radiotherapy and chemotherapy. He also works in cancer research at the University of Cambridge, where he investigates why certain tumours respond to radiotherapy whilst others do not. So to start off, um, Yvonne, could you briefly tell us about your role in radiotherapy, please? Okay, thanks, Rachel. So, um, yeah, so I'm a, I'm a medical doctor and I'm a clinical oncologist, which essentially means um, in broad terms that I can use a number of different treatment modalities to treat patients with cancer. So that includes radiotherapy, obviously the bulk of what we're going to be talking about today, but also does mean that I can also use systemic treatments such as chemotherapy, hormonal therapy or other medical management. On a day to day, whereabouts would you usually be in department? What what does your day to day look like, Yvonne? Okay, so day to day is always very different. I'm very busy and I never quite know. I do have a plan. I do have set clinic times, but uh, the the joy of medicine is that you never quite know what's going to happen on a day-to-day basis. So essentially, where would you see me in the department? Essentially, probably in outpatients, in the clinical role, meeting patients for the first time as new patients or seeing patients who've had treatment. You also probably see me running through the radiotherapy department to obviously liaise with my radiographer colleagues if they're scanning a patient that they need some assistance or advice with, or and indeed often going onto the machines themselves. So, so I think for patients, uh, primarily my contact is within the outpatient setting, but very much my day-to-day role is liaising with my colleagues with that throughout the department in terms of aiding our patient treatment. And Saif, are there different roles within your clinical team? So we have our consultants, but we also have registrars as well. Could you explain the difference between those, please? 
Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me on the podcast. So, yeah, so I was recently a registrar up until, until a couple of years ago. So I'll, I'll just explain a little bit about the differences and, and how people get to, to what they are. So anyone who starts up in, in medicine, obviously, they go to medical school for five or six years. And then they um, train in lots of different specialties within medicine to kind of get a flavor and, and, and experience. And normally that's kind of two years at a basic level, which is foundation level. Then they have like the next sort of intermediate level for a few years. And then you only really start specializing around sort of four years after you've left medical school. And that's where you can say, OK, I'm going to be a clinical oncologist, for instance, um, where we're giving radiotherapy and chemotherapy or someone in the hospital might be a surgeon, you know, a heart surgeon, for instance. So people differentiate a bit more after that kind of basic understanding. And so the registrar training in, in what we call clinical oncology is five years in total. So quite, quite a long time. And actually, as you can imagine, someone who's at the start of that journey, sort of a year in or even a day in, will have much less experience of what radiotherapy involves as to someone who's on their kind of last day of their, of their five years. But you've kind of got this collective group of registrars who are kind of learning their trade so to speak and they spend four or six months in different rotations learning about cancer and radiotherapy from different specialties just breast cancer bowel cancer another time and things like that and then when you complete that five years you usually then would end up as a as a consultant as long as you pass all your exams and things and and then a consultant tends to specialize a lot more in sort of, you know, maybe a couple of different disease sites. So someone might be a bit more kind of doing urology type cancers with, you know, breast cancers, for instance. And so they'll be the special, uh, sort of more specialized and each registrar will in theory be kind of under one or a group of consultants. So that's kind of how the doctors are broken down. It's a very, you know, high level. You end up with sort of consultants and registrars and registrars are a bit more junior, but are often a bit more kind of around in terms of like being able to respond to things, you know, in an emergency, being on call and things like that. Whereas consultants are kind of more there in, in clinic and overseeing things. So that's kind of the, the the two two group of doctors, so to speak. And I guess what I'd say is even with consultants, you know, you could be a consultant a day in or much more sort of early in their career or someone a lot more senior. So even within that, you'll get lots of different experience and a lot more sort of expertise potentially in certain areas. So we're a very diverse group, but but broadly understanding consultants and registrars is, is helpful to explain that there. Thank you. It's good to people to understand that there's so many different levels when when we're going to speak with the team, like the clinical teams as well. So it's a nice overview of how the medical team looks behind the scenes, because often it's the patients just see doctor. So it's quite nice to hear about the different the differences. And so if what does what does your day to day sort of look at them look like at the moment? You've mentioned in the introduction, obviously, that you do a bit of research and so do you, Yvonne. So could you tell us a bit about that as well? So my, my post is sort of an academic consultant oncologist and basically my week is sort of split so that there are four days which are more focused on, on research and there's my one main clinical day where I do a clinic in the morning and then do my radiotherapy work in the, in the afternoon. So that's in theory how the, the day should go, but Yvonne already alluded to the fact that in medicine, there's a, a sort of a bit more variability from the baseline. And, you know, obviously patients have cancer or complications throughout the week. So I think, you know, as, as sort of having that kind of split in the job, I think it's always key to be available if there's anything important going on, but we also have really good colleagues who can kind of, if I've got a day where I'm sort of doing more research, who can sort of help if there's anything in, in, in the meantime. So, so that's kind of the way things are split. And I think that's, again, the diversity of different 
sort of clinicians within uh, a team, there'll be different people around at different days or different specialties. And the other four days that I do is, is working within the University of Cambridge on a, something called the Radnet Cambridge Research Program, which I guess you may hear about in, in the podcast. And my research focus is particularly around understanding why certain cancers respond to radiotherapy treatment, whereas others don't, and whether there's sort of biology underpinning that, and potentially if you could understand that, are there ways that you could improve treatment in patients who are not going to respond well, either through giving different ways of giving radiotherapy or combining it with drugs? So that's uh, broadly the way I'm, I'm split. And my clinically, I, I focus more on breast cancers. I suppose my week probably looks a little bit different than SAFE's, and as he's already alluded to as well, I think we're all probably quite different in, in, in how we do our role, which I think is, again, the diversity of medicine is that of all the consultants, probably all their roles look slightly different. So I'm a full-time NHS consultant, and I treat patients with prostate and bladder cancer. So my week, as well as clinics in both prostate and bladder cancer, I share a clinic of bladder cancer with, with a surgical colleague. So we see patients together, which is a really good way when, when the patients might be suitable for either of those options, that actually for the patient, they see us both together and have that discussion, as well as seeing obviously patients who are going through radiotherapy I also run a trials clinic. So whilst I'm not doing basic research within, say, a laboratory setting, I'm very keen and enthusiastic to recruit patients into trials. So, so I run a, 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 a trials clinic, per se, as well on, on one of the days. And then on another session, I will actually put markers into prostates. And that means we can track the moving prostate during radiotherapy to provide as accurate a treatment as we can so quite diverse really across my day just to add to that what do you think your role means to the patient so this is something I've asked all of the guys that have been on the podcast I think for me it might sound strange to the doctor to say but I, I I truly think I'm I am very patient focused and so what I hope my role means for a patient is that they can meet somebody they they will see me face to face or via video consultation that we have a good relationship one of trust one that they can trust me I'm able to give them clarity of information answer any questions they have and also almost be kind of the front the front door to the to all of us to all of the department and that you know I will represent and hopefully give them the support and reassurance that the treatment they're going to go through is the right treatment for them and that they're supported in that and and, and my colleagues and that you know essentially I as the doctor, you do have overall responsibility for the patient from the moment they come in till the moment they go out, you know, in deciding what treatment they should have, how it should be given, ensuring that treatments are, are tailored for that individual patient. And that's really where the kind of medical consultation comes in, is that radiotherapy treatment for each site may might be very similar but it actually it's the patients who are all very different and that's where our expertise comes in knowing what's suitable for each patient so so I hope for the patient 
I'm the person that they, they know that they can trust and that, and that follows on for all my colleagues that work with me and deliver the treatment that they know that they're receiving the best treatment that they can. Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm very lucky to, to go after um, Yvonne because um, she's captured so so much of the essence of, of what it involves to, to be a doctor looking after someone. So I'd, I'd agree with, with all of that. I, I guess you know, Yvonne said about being patient focused, and I think that's really important for, for anyone in, in our profession. And I think that means that you kind of almost tailor the type of doctor you are to to the patient as well and uh, and what I mean by that is is you know so much of what we do is around communicating the the treatment that patients are about to have why they need it what it's going to involve what the kind of um you know precautions they need to take or long term what to look out for and I think it's really important to tailor how we communicate that to everyone different and, and obviously in its extremes you know you could be talking to a little child or, or, or someone through their parents but then at the other extreme you might have a professor of, of radiation physics or something like that and obviously that that conversation is quite different and I think that's the the, the you know the really sort of big variability of our day and I think what what we we're constantly learning about is how can we get that right and just being being aware of that so I, th I think that's a real kind of important thing of, of what we do because it's really complicated understanding why someone might need radiotherapy it's not kind of a black or white thing really and just trying to kind of get that grayness across in the right way is, is, is really important too and I think the key I think any doctor would, would also really want to hear from patients is you know either during the consultation or afterwards in terms of through through nurses about you know any queries they have about anything what can be explained better or what they didn't understand and it's kind of on us to, to make sure that that is addressed in the best way possible. So what brought you both to radiotherapy and oncology and what kind of brought you to become a doctor? I think when I think about what brought me to become a doctor, I, I actually, I, I find that that's quite difficult. And I suppose maybe I came to medicine maybe from a pathway that was maybe not what people perceive. Um, I was the first you know, member of my family to go to university. So I didn't grow up with any doctors in the family or family friends that were that were doctors at all. I think probably what it stems from, um, we did do a lot of volunteering as a family. And I think probably the patient-centered focus of that is, is what fed on to me really just wanting to be a doctor. Because certainly when I was at school, I, I can't remember thinking of wanting to do anything else. Um, but as I said, in a bizarre way, not because really of any kind of other influence on me to do that and initially I didn't I didn't get good enough grades I went and did a degree before I did medicine so I do actually have a degree in food science which is kind of chemistry and engineering but essentially all the way through that even though I knew I had to complete it because that was my only other way into medical school was to get a degree and then to go into medical school it was still I think what it did for me I suppose was a I was that bit older going into doing medical school and I think actually that's not a bad thing. I think we all grow up a lot, don't we, between say 18 and 21. So actually all it did for me was reaffirm it was it was absolutely what I wanted to do. So, so I went into medical school as a, as a graduate. In terms of, and I've always, always felt it was an absolute privilege to do it. And maybe because it was a bit harder to do it, it felt even more it was the right thing to do. In terms of why did I end up doing oncology, I think it was as a medical student, as a, as a junior doctor, the patients whose stories inspired me, how they were managed, it always came back to being the, the cancer patients. 
and again, whilst I, you know, thought about other specialties as I kind of went through, it, it drew me back to, to always thinking that oncology was so interesting. It was all about delivering evidence-based care, but the compassion that was required around oncology was just so much more than I felt in other specialities. And so I did a, I did a, junior, a junior medical post down at the Middlesex, as it was then, and again, that kind of confirmed for me that I thought that was the way to go. So, yeah, so I, I went to Australia, but I, I did haematology in, in Australia. And that, again, just underlined to me that that wasn't the way to go. And so I came back to do oncology training in the UK. Yeah, so mine's a, a little bit different story from, from everyone in that. So as growing up, actually, my, my father worked as like a, a, a GP in, you know, the local, we were talking now small town and he was really you know he was really close to all his patients would you know get to know them really well as a family and, and really had a huge amount of satisfaction with his work which was really nice and then at school I always just enjoyed you know lots of subjects but particularly kind of biology and science and sort of how then that kind of you know I, I just liked that and and then I ended up you know with medicine as well I really enjoyed understanding how sort of changes in biology or how things work would potentially cause disease but then how we our understanding of that meant that we could cure those diseases so that was something I always always liked in terms of oncology though I kind of just fell into it rather randomly because I remember as a medical student I mean so much of it is what you're exposed to in anything that you do so when we did it as a student we didn't really get exposed to much oncology so I never really did it and I didn't know much about it. And so I was like, oh, I probably wouldn't want to do that. But then during my medical training, I ended up, I was quite interested in cardiology or respiratory. And the only way I could do rotations in that was that there was this palliative care medicine rotation in the middle of it. And I was like, okay, I'll suck up palliative care for four months so that I can do cardiology and respiratory. And ironically, I didn't really like cardiology and respiratory as much as I thought I would. And when I was doing palliative care, I was dealing with a lot of oncology patients. And I found it really fascinating because obviously at, at that stage, they're less you know having less oncology treatments at that at that point it's usually a bit later stage in the cancer journey but I was just so fascinated looking at their old letters as to you know this treatment that treatment radiation therapy and also with how much reverence the patients spoke about the oncology team not just the doctors but the the nurses and the radiographer everybody looking after them and I was like oh this sounds like a really Sort of great place like you know I don't know anything about them and so I did a little bit of a taster within oncology and really liked that as well and then I kind of you know just thought I'd apply for that once I learned a bit more about it and yeah not really look back at all I've, I've really enjoyed it and I think the nice thing about oncology particularly is, is kind of the variation to some extent um what, what I found with cardiologist bridge again they're really interesting but they're quite focused around a, an organ almost and in oncology you know that the impacts can can you know be across lots of ways and we can then impact on those and improve those in lots of different ways and use lots of different techniques so that's been my journey really but yeah I've really enjoyed it what I found with the podcast is actually speaking to everyone about their how they've got into their roles it's been really interesting because everyone has a complete different story and I think that's quite nice for the listeners because it just shows how how we all kind of came about radiotherapy because it's not very well known so it's quite nice to hear hear everyone's roots in thank you so finally this is a big question where do you see radiotherapy taking us in the next five to ten years 
I'll let Safe go with that one first. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So, I mean, I think there's there's lots of ways, and I think with with all these in, in in medicine or science, you, you often can't predict the next breakthrough. But I think there's probably a few key things that 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 are really going to be changing radiotherapy, particularly. I, th I think there's a lot of talk around precision radiotherapy. So I know that's, you know, we've been giving precise radiotherapy for years, so we, we do that anyway, but it, it's kind of linked to the fact that in particularly with chemotherapy drugs, we're trying to tailor, you know, a treatment specifically around the patient and often what kind of genetics there are around the cancer so that more effective treatments can be given to, to certain individuals. And, and I think with radiotherapy, we've always done that because we've always focus the radiation around the tumor. We've always taken into account everybody's anatomy is different. Everybody's past history is different. But I think that is becoming more and more sophisticated with the type of technologies that we have with improvement. I don't know if you do a, a session on image guidance radiotherapy, for instance, but just sort of being even more sophisticated with that, we can really tailor our radiation dose to, to around the tumor. But, you know, how do we do that? You know, it's, it's not going to be one size fits all for every patient. So I think really around the physics, but also around the biology as well, which is what my research is in. If, if you know someone has a certain type of cancer that might not do, you know, might not respond as well to radiation therapy, can we potentially increase the dose or give the radiation a bit differently? So that kind of, you know, personalizing and, and making more precise the radiotherapy treatment for each patient is, is a big thing. And, and the second point is, which we're seeing, having effects on every kind of walk of life is, is, uh, is the whole artificial intelligence research and, and, and uh, research around that and being able to work with big data sets in a meaningful way. And, and I think that will feed into the precision radiotherapy side of things and potentially might even make things more efficient with how we do things around when we contour a tumor and, and outline what we want to do. You know, there may be ways that that can be supported by um, uh, sort of computer-based systems and things like that. And that was probably going to change our day-to-day -day quite a bit. But I don't think we're being replaced anytime soon, but I guess we'll see. So that's, um, that's my take on it. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned artificial intelligence. In our other podcast series, Future of Radiotherapy, we speak to one of our colleagues about artificial intelligence and radiotherapy. So that's a really interesting part of the future. Yeah, I think obviously just backing up what Safe was saying, I think AI automation, a lot of the tasks that we do at the moment, and I think we haven't probably mentioned it a lot before in the, this podcast, but part of our role is once we've decided that a patient you know, needs radiotherapy, once they've had what we call a planning scan, then our time is spent outlining the tumour or the target, as well as the organs at risk that are nearby that, that may well get affected by the radiotherapy. Now, that's quite time consuming. And there has been some development in, in automation in, in to help us do that, but there is still quite a long way to go. And I suspect more of that in, 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 in other professions professionals roles as well is going to be needed. I think we have a shrinking workforce across all of our professional groups. And I think that is something that we're, you know, is going to be a massive challenge for all of us in the next five to 10 years. In terms of the radiotherapy, again, Certainly one of my specialties is in prostate cancer. And, and again, and in some way in the similar way that maybe breast has gone of actually reducing the number of treatments that a patient has to come every day. Now, actually that 
potentially is going to be a massive advantage, not only to the patients and traveling, but actually to all of us, if, if actually we have less staff and we still want to treat at the capacity we're doing. So, so potentially I can see that that is going to be in the next coming, you know, maybe even sooner than the next five years in, in terms of prostate cancer treatment. And then I think, again, what Safe alluded to, I think more about kind of not one size fits all with radiation, which really until now, it has pretty much been that. So, so much more modeling in risk of, of the tumors themselves, dose painting. So maybe a tumor getting at higher differing doses within a target and actually being able to adapt to treatment rather than at the moment, we kind of plan a treatment at the start and that's the treatment that's delivered every day actually more about being able to adapt to treatment as either the tumor shrinks or the patient changes and to be able to do that probably we will need much better imaging actually on the set so that's what I would hope whether that's by just better CT or of course potentially having an MRI in combination with a LINAC so so I think that's that's where the development will probably be. Thank you both so much. Thank you for sharing. And uh, thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you.